This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, how many are ready for the word this morning? All right. Let's just stand up if we can. Just to give you guys a little break from sitting down for too long here, let's pray and uh, believe God for the Word of God to touch your life this morning. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, that it has the ability to transform our hearts and to transform our minds. And Father, we ask this morning that you would touch the very depths of who we are. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're giving us wisdom to put guardrails in our lives, Lord, to protect us from the danger zones that are on the other side. And Father, we ask for the same thing this morning with regards to finances, Lord, and wisdom regarding finances, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just do a great work in our lives today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, I am uh, excited uh, to share with you our last uh, message on guardrails. How many have been blessed by this series so far? How many have gotten something out of it? Okay. All three of you have got something out of it. That's good. Well, for those that have, maybe this is your first time, we've been talking about guardrails. Most of us would know what a guardrail is just by simply literally driving on the 401. If you're ever driving over a bridge or in a, in a, maybe a curvy area, you're going to see guardrails that are in place. And the entire purpose of a guardrail is to be placed in a particular area that's on this side of what's really dangerous in hopes that if your car hits the guardrail, the damage done to the car is much less than what would be done to it if you actually had no guardrail and you went right down into the valley. How many are thankful for guardrails in our lives to protect us from uh, maybe friends that are going to influence us in a bad way, uh, maybe uh, in different areas in our lives? And so what we've been talking about specifically to bring it to a spiritual principle is this idea that a guardrail is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Our hope and our goal is that as you bump up against this guardrail in your life, it'll alert your conscience to something wrong. How many know there's far too many people in our world that have no guardrails and nothing is alerting their conscience? And they're just going ahead and doing anything that their mind thinks about in the moment because they are, either one, they don't care, they're not wise, or they're just literally completely uh, not even thinking. I have to admit this morning, how many have ever been in a, uh, a good old Pentecostal Baptist church when they were younger and when they were, you know, sitting in? I remember coming into church and I remember one of the first questions my mom had asked or I'd asked my mom was, Mom, why are there numbers on the wall off to the side of the platform? And so I have to be honest with you this morning, I'm completely distracted by the number 438 in the back. Every time I look at the number 438, I'm like, well, it's hymn number 438. Let's all stand together. From the rising of the sun to the going. Sorry. I'm trying not to look at the number 438 in the back. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm totally distracted by that. Lord Jesus, remove the guardrail. It's no longer. Oh, now we're at song zero. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Pastor Ray. That was very sweet. Um, last week we talked about sexuality, and as a pastor, it's, one of, it's something I look forward to every year. <laughs> not really. Um, it's not exactly my top ten list of things that I want to preach about, but hey, how many know we've got to do it? 
right? Especially living in a day and age that we, we have today. And today I'm going to talk about money. And if I can say in both cases, whether it's sexual issues or whether it's financial issues, how many know that really the root of everything is self-control? Right, okay. That was a good point. Thank you. Um, so if I can say this this morning, it's probably two of the issues that are disregarded by believers and unbelievers. Even more importantly, unbelievers. Why? Because the unbeliever will say, well, the church is against sex, and the church just wants your money. How many have ever heard that? Okay, are we here? All right. Well, I have news for you today. God created sex. (laughs) Oh, have mercy. It's going to be one of those days in church today. I can feel it. God created sex. (laughs) He just did it in the confines of marriage. That's the only context in which he blesses, is in the confines of marriage. And I have news for you today. God doesn't need your money. Because he'll find it in another way. If I can say this morning, I want to just set up the entire message today with one key thought. Okay? God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And once we get settled into the fact that God doesn't want something from you and he wants something for you, then it totally changes the dynamics of how you understand finances. He wants peace of mind in your life so that you are literally in a position where you trust God to be the source of your life. And when you trust God to be the source of your life, the peace of God comes and it absolutely relaxes you. Keyword, Sean Binkley, thank you. And it relaxes you, inside joke for the worship team, uh, into this place where you understand that God is your source. The biggest competitor for your trust is money. That was a good point. Thank you. Matthew 6.24, let's just follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God. One version says, and mammon. And actually, that's even a better word because it actually talks about the spirit that is behind that. When you just read it and it says, you, you know, you can't serve both God and money, it just makes us think of actual financial whether it's bills or your bank account or change or, you know, whatever it is that you have. But what the Spirit of God really wants you to understand today is that word mammon literally reveals the fact that it is not just what's in your pocket. It's the Spirit that controls what's in your pocket. It's the Spirit that speaks to you and says, well, I can't let that go. I can't give it up because... So the two things that we naturally gravitate towards with finances in particular, if I can say it like this, the two ditches that we fall into is either, number one, we consume or we hoard. How many have ever seen the, you know, the TV show Hoarders? Okay, we need to pray for those people. They, they need help. But there's two things or two ways that you'll naturally slide into, two ditches you'll slide into. Either you're going to consume or you're going to hoard. And so I want you to know today that both of those ideas, consuming and hoarding, both of them are self-centered. They're both selfish. And if I can say it like this, they're emotionally driven. How many have ever made an emotionally driven purchase? Raise your hand. (laughs) Whew, that's good. At least we're honest. For those that didn't put up your hand, we will pray for you after. But the problem with both of these things is that it, it leaves God as the backup plan. God is always the 911 God. 
We're calling him when we're stuck. And God doesn't want to be the backup plan. He doesn't want to be the 911 God. He wants you to reprioritize your financial decisions so that God is in first place. And second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth. He's it. He's the only source. He's the only means. He's the only way. When you can get to that point, I'm telling you right now, the peace of mind that comes when you don't have to worry about your money and you literally put it in God's hands and you say, God, I, I'm, I'm literally living out the principles of your word. I trust you. I have no problem with that. Lord, I'm telling you right now, there's a rest and there's a peace that comes on your life. If you look at our bank account and if you look at how much money that we have personally made in the last 15 years, of which some of those years was actually below the poverty line, you'd look at us and go, you're nuts. And I can honestly say, in the, in the worst year financially, that, because we ended up, I was a social worker at John Howard, and as they said when they hired you, we have other benefits. Usually that means we don't pay you very well, but hey, you get some loot time, we give you an extra week vacation, that's awesome, so we get to go away and not have any money to actually do that. So what we had is an extra week of staycation, which was awesome, and uh, we just stayed at home, and you know, but they literally said, you know, there's other benefits, money is not one of them, and so I remember one year, um, it was literally, I don't know if it was Hannah or if it was uh, Josiah, it was Josiah. Well, we literally brought in the, the least amount of money we've ever brought in our lives, and it literally was below the poverty line. And in that year, we had given the most we had ever given in our life. And God supernaturally blessed us with a minivan. Boom. God blessed us with stuff that was coming out of, I mean, we had the mail money like you wouldn't believe. And it was from sources that today, this day, I have no idea where they've come from. One of the sources, I understood where it came from, and it was a blessing. Um, but I tell you, it, there were so many things, so many moments that God did in our lives. We were just like, this is crazy. But nobody knew where we were. My parents didn't even know that. They just found that out right now. Because if they did, they'd probably be out over our house saying, how can I help you, son? How can I help you? And then I would say, Dad, it's okay. We're moving in. And that would probably be the end of our relationship. But that's okay. That's okay. So I want to give you three simple thoughts today that I want you to remember for the rest of your life. It's so simple. I'm making it so simple so that you never forget this. Are you ready for the financial plan of all financial plans? Are you ready? Give, save, live. That's it. First thing off the top is give. The second thing you do is save. And the third thing you do is live. The problem is is so many of us are living above their means that we don't have anything to give or to save. And yet God says financially, using wisdom, you should be given first and save in second. Give, save, live. Are we good? Okay. So why in the world is that thought, which sounds so simple, so difficult for us in Canada? And for those that have just come back from Haiti, you're going to probably look at us and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, can we get up and tell these people that some of the stuff that they all worry about is really irrelevant? Who cares? I remember when I came back from Haiti, I just got home and I went, you know what, and we're pretty frugal people, but I came home and I was just like, you know what, we don't need that, we don't need this, we don't need that, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we get so caught up trying to go after stuff to keep up with the Joneses, and the Joneses are people we don't even like? <laughs> like, I don't get that. I, I, I really don't get that, okay? But here's why we struggle. I want to just do some statistics so that I'm not just sharing an opinion. I want you to see the actual stats. From the World Bank gross national income per person uh, in U.S. dollars, this is from three years ago, so I'm sure it's pretty close. Canada, 
Okay, per person, $50,970. Germany, 44 and change. The UK, 38 and change. Israel, $28,380. Saudi Arabia, 21 and change. Barbados, home of the, the great Ryan Lewis, $15,080. Russia, 12, 12700 Brazil, 11630 China, 5600 and change. India, $1,530. Kenya, $850. And Haiti, where these guys were, $760 a year. Two bucks a day. Okay? So one of the things that I've realized coming out of, especially from my own experience coming from Haiti, and I'm sure the, the nine people that went would have the same experience, is that our prayers are different than a Haitian. That's the biggest difference. In Canada, we pray for new clothes, a bigger house, a new car, vacation money, a better job. In Haiti, they're praying for clean water, food, a bicycle to get to work, and any type of education. And a bucket, yes. Thank you. So our prayers are wired to our financial situation. The problem is some of us would say, you know, I actually heard the statistic. Now, I don't know if it's absolutely accurate, but I've heard this from many different sources, so I'm going to assume it is. But they actually said that somebody on welfare in Canada is in the top 20% of wealth in the world. Somebody on welfare in Canada. So I hear that and I go, okay, the problem is, is we're not comparing ourselves to Haitians. We're comparing ourselves to the person next door. We're comparing ourselves to what they have. So then the real question comes is, how do we live in this world and not feel like we're weird? In other words, how do we live in this world and not make financial decisions that to other people looks just weird? How do we do that? Well, first of all, the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers in this world, so we've got to get comfortable with being weird. I don't know about you, but you know, I, don't, I don't need stuff. I don't go around looking, hey, I, well, I, I, if I just had that thing, man, if I just had that thing, my life would change. Yeah, it means I would be paying out more money and having less of it to take care of other things that are really necessary, right? So that's what makes it harder. Jesus himself said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to say this morning, what I want to inspire in you this morning is to, is to literally put guardrails into your life financially so that every single time you bump up against that guardrail, you're reminded, is that really necessary? Do I really need that? Is that in alignment with give, save, live? Is that going to work? Is that going to function well? In other words, I'm two, year, you know, two months or two weeks down the road, am I going to be stressed out because I don't have enough money for the thing that really matters? Right? See, it's hard. Why is it hard? Well, the reality is, is it's hard because we live in this culture. How many know that we have a materialistic culture by nature? How many know that because of that, it's hard? I get that. Trust me, I get it. Trust me, I get it more than you'll ever know. But I'm so thankful for hand-me-downs. And I'm so thankful for a church family that just keeps free cycling everything. I'm telling you right now, one of the best ideas in church life is free cycling. I've lost count how many times people have a new baby and then it's like, you know, one person, one family, another family, another family, they're just showing up with garbage bags full of stuff, dropping it off at the new family's uh, home because they know baby's coming, right? That's the blessing of the church. We should always do that, okay? But what we want to come down to is give, save, live. I wanted to share a couple of thoughts about each idea, give, save, and live, and then I'm going to end, okay? So the first thing is this, give. If I can say this, um, whatever we put as first place with our finances really determines or reveals to us what we honor the most in our life. So if we're honoring our mortgage payment, and that stresses us out to no end, then I have news for you, maybe that's taken a greater precedence in our life than we should. 
And this morning, I just want to share a couple of key principles in alignment with this from the life of Joseph, if that's okay. And so when Joseph understood these principles, he understood at the end of the day that when it came to giving first, the Bible actually uses this word first fruits to describe the tithe. And I'm not going to get into this whole long thing on tithing today. We've talked about tithing before, but I know we've had messages online about specifically just about tithing. I'd encourage you guys to do that. We actually have one just in March in the You Do What series, so feel free to do that, to, to listen to that. But the Bible talks about this word first fruits. How many know whenever there's a word that involves the word first in it, usually you're saying something? <laughs> I'm smart. Really, I'm smart. I'm just like, wow, first fruits. I guess that means it comes third. It's like, I didn't know. <laughs> Somebody, if they put a number one with a little ST up, then I would have got it. But because they wrote it out, F-R-I-R-S-T, I, would, I didn't understand. I'm sorry. But it's literally first fruits. Your first portion, the tithe, literally belongs to God. And here's what's really key. I'm using the word give just to make it nice and easy. Give, save, live it. This sounds really nice. But really, it's not actually something we give. The tithe is not something we give. It's actually something we just return. Because it's not ours to touch. Right? Anything on top of that is what we give. But Pharaoh had two dreams. Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 8. And I'm going to explain some of this using this story. It says this. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin, kind of like me. That's what I'm going to be like, Lord Jesus, one day. Okay. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams, so he called for all the musicians and wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. And obviously, we understand that when Joseph came, Joseph interpreted the dreams and literally explained the dreams to Pharaoh. And he explained that there was going to be seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine could eat up the seven years of prosperity. All right, and so it, the story literally goes on in verse 33 to 36. I want to read along here as well. And it says, Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth. Oh, that's nice, 20%. I like that. Of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise this famine will destroy the land. The Bible literally talks about this idea of first fruits. And what's interesting in this story is Joseph literally is taking a principle of percentage giving. And he's literally challenging the Egyptians because he knew that there was two seasons. He literally is saying, listen, I'm going to challenge you in your percentage giving to actually double what a tithe is in order to save for the, right, the last seven years. So really, what is he telling them? I want you to tithe 10% for 14 years, but the only way to mathematically make it work is to tithe 20% in the first seven. 
So he's literally teaching the Egyptians who know nothing about God and know nothing about God's financial system. He's literally teaching them. Um, so many of us read this story and we just think it's about saving up grain. But he's literally teaching them about a tithe. He's saying, I want to do 20% for the first seven years in order that the 10% can last the whole time. If we set apart the tithe, the tithe will take care of us. If we give God 10 he'll give us the 90 that's so super blessed that we don't have to worry about the 10 that's missing. So this is what he was teaching the Egyptians. Get, get the principle here. This is awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I've always heard this consistent kind of pattern um, from people in church. I've heard this statement over and over and over again. Tithers always say, man, we're just so blessed. Oh, God's just so faithful. This is awesome. And people who don't tithe say the same thing. Uh, we can't afford to tithe. We just can never get enough. We just can't get ahead. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you've never, ever, ever financially put uh, your, your financial management principles or process in the hands of God and give first, save second, and live off the rest, I want to challenge you to do it. It'll be the most incredible adventure you've ever had in your life. I've lost count how many stories. Oftentimes people come and talk to us about this stuff, and we just can't stop telling stories because the faithfulness of God just never ends. It's never ending. It's awesome. Genesis 47, verse 26, it says this, Then Joseph then issued a decree, still in effect in the land of Egypt, that Pharaoh should receive one-fifth of all the crops grown in his land. Only the land belonging to the priest was not given to Pharaoh. Who's, who is the priest? It's representative of the tithe being the first fruit, the sacred first fruit that was not to be touched. It was supposed to be set apart for the priesthood in the Old Testament, which represented the church. Today it's the church, right? Um, that's awesome. So God is teaching the Egyptians through a man that's not even from Egypt the principles of tithing, of first fruits, and basically don't touch what belongs to God. That's really what he was teaching them. Don't touch what belongs to God. Give first. I'll tell you right now, if you put your giving in alignment with him, everything else comes into order. Second thing is this, saving. How many wish that they had a really big savings account? (laughs) Oh, we all do. How many wish that it was in the bazillions so that we could retire at the age of 23? (laughs) Yes, we all do. That's all good. Um, But Joseph made the Egyptians wait. Think about this. They could have eaten stuff right away. They They could have sold it to all the nations that were in the famine and made big bucks. But they realized that the grain was more valuable to them than money because they couldn't eat money. They needed food, right? Um, they could have used all of it right away, but they chose to listen to the, he, uh, the wisdom and the heeding of Joseph's words and literally waited, okay? He knew that they had to be patient. He knew that they had to understand that when you wait, God will bless. When you wait, God will bless. I don't know about you. Have any of you ever heard of the get-rich schemes that are out there? Anyone? One of the things that I've often noticed is that Christians are ridiculously gullible for this stuff. I've never, I mean, honestly, when we were back in Oshawa, I lost count how many of these pyramid schemes, and, and, and it was a muffin scheme, and, a, and then a, some other scheme. There was like, in a matter of three years, like there's all these schemes, and I'm hearing about all these Christians getting involved, and then about six months or a year later, all of them have no money. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that didn't kind of work out the way you thought it would, did it? It's not good. I want to have news for you today. When we trust God and we give first and we save second, we don't have to worry about the timing of anything. 
because it's not in our hands to worry about. God knows when your bills need to be paid. He knows how to pay them. He knows where you live. He even knows when you move. He has a GPS. He knows where you are. It's all good. Proverbs 28, 20, it says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. In other words, he's saying, if those are people are making decisions just simply to make more money. I've lost count how many people switch their jobs in order to make more money, only to be more un- unhappy. More money, more power, more authority is not going to make you more happy. The issue with unhappiness is on the inside of your heart. And so it doesn't matter how much you give, how much you save, and all those other things, if there's a general unhappiness in your life, you're going to be unhappy no matter where you are. I have news for you this morning. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Okay? Um, that's good. That made that point. All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, I want to just share one very practical little thing that you can do, especially if you're married. If you're married in this place, if you're not married, just tuck this away and share this with your future spouse. But if you're married in this place, Sandra and I made a decision when we first got together, so it's been 15 years now of making, the, actually 16 years now, of making this decision um, that has literally saved our life. We have often had people come to us and they ask us about our finances and how we do things. And one of the statements that we often make, and people look like a deer caught in a headlight when, they, when we say this, they say, we have never in 16 years had an argument about money, ever. And they're like, yeah, you're lying. Like, no, really. It says, oh, yeah, you're just being all godly and making it look like that. I said, no, 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 we, we actually haven't. Never. Why? Because we've made two decisions that have saved our life. Are you ready for this? If we don't have the cash to get something, we don't get it. Step one. Number two, if we're out and we're at a place and one person wants something and the other person is hesitant, we don't get it because we made a declaration that this, my spouse is more important to me than the thing. And that's how it always has been. Some people say, well, yeah, but it's a great deal. That's okay. We'll go home and we'll talk about it. Sometimes we have to go home and talk about it. And we trust God that if the deal's, you know, if, if that's to come around, then we'll go back and get it later. But some of the worst decisions we've ever made is because we're mostly driven to make a financial decision in the heat of the moment. And we make it and we're just $1,500 in the hole now. How are we going to pay for our car payment? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Those two things have saved our lives. We've never had an argument. And it has literally saved our lives. Um, I want to just do a little, little um, math uh, equation for us, if we can, this morning about saving. Are you ready for this? Canadians, on average, this is not my opinion, this is from the Globe and Mail, Canadians, on average, have 2.8 cups of coffee a day. Okay? Large coffee at Tim Hortons, or I think it's now the medium coffee at Tim Hortons, is $1.80 plus tax. That would be $5.04 a day, if you do the tax included. That is $1,839.60 per year if you have those 2.8 coffees every day. If you only do it five days a week when you're going to work and on the way home from work, then it's $1,315.44. Are you ready for this? Number one, that's a family vacation. That's a week away at a cottage. Okay, just keep that in mind. If you invest that with a 2% interest over 30 years, $74,645.27. 30 years. Over 30 years. 75 grand. It's incredible when you think about what simply a cup of coffee 2.8 times a day does. It literally totally changes the dynamic of what you make in your life. So I, I want to say that just to get you to think, how in the world can I give, how can I save, and how can I prioritize my life for that? The last one is this. Are you ready? Live. 
Listen, uh, Joseph understood God's principles better than anyone at that time. And here's what he literally talked about with regards to financial management. Genesis chapter 41, verses 34 and 35, it says this, Then Pharaoh said, uh, sorry, then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of the crops. Have them gather all the food produced in the good year, store it away and guard it there so there'll be food in the cities. Joseph had a plan in advance. In other words, when you have a plan and you don't deviate from that plan, usually you get blessed by it. You know what it's called? A budget. Yeah, it's a budget. What was he doing? He was budgeting. He was actually planning. He actually had a plan. He had a financial management plan that he stuck to. How many know that when you stick to a financial management plan, there's a lot of good things that can happen uh, when you do that? Now, I want to say this. Without a budget, it's hard to know where your money's going. Right? Without a budget, it's hard to know how much is coming in. And without a budget, it's hard to plan anything in advance. But God wants you to know today that if you put good, solid, healthy uh, financial man- management ideas into your life and into your, uh, into your family, God's going to do something good in your life. How many know that feelings in a budget usually don't go together? Okay? They don't go together. But, you know, we haven't been to Dominican since three months ago. I think we should go back. I remember when we grew up, my parents, uh, and I'm thankful for this, they ended up saving money for years. And we went on this family vacation of the century. We literally saved up, and it was 1986, and we literally were gone. Was it five weeks? Four and a half, five weeks. We were gone for five weeks, and we did a tour of Disney World. We went to Myrtle Beach. We went to Washington, D.C. We went to Gettysburg. We went to all the Civil War sites. We did a whole pile of different things. But we literally, they saved up for years. And I can honestly say, yeah, we did other things here and there. It was awesome. But that was the one big highlight of our life. Think about this. What doesn't make Saturday morning cartoons important anymore? No, because you can see them 24 hours a day on whatever satellite show you get. There's nothing to look forward to. We have nothing to look forward to in our culture because you can have it at a fingertip. Sometimes we have this mindset that we just need this right now. No, you don't need it right now. Because whatever you have to wait to get is an incredible blessing once you get there. We learn to cherish things a lot more. We actually learn to put greater value and worth on a person or an activity more because it's not something we can do all the time. Oh, yeah, that was a good point. Thank you. Um, so here's seven great reasons to have a budget, and Sean and Jen, you can thank me later. All right, okay. Seven great reasons to have a budget. Number one, it helps you think more clearly and objectively. That was a good point. If I can say it like this, it helps you to differentiate between reality and feelings, okay? Number two, it makes you examine and clarify your values and your priorities. In other words, it helps you to differentiate between wants and needs. How many have ever had that? Okay? It provides a basis of discussion and agreement. And if we're not in agreement, that means you're in disunity, which means it causes stress in your marriage. So why do that? It's not worth it. Four, it provides a basis for accountability. Right? All the ladies can say amen to that. All right, that's good. All right. You know, honey, if I just went on a golf vacation, it would solve all my problems. It's, I've been trying this for the last five years. It hasn't worked yet. It's like, honey, a golf vacation to Florida in the middle of our winter will solve all of little Cammie's problems. But she hasn't done that yet. But that's okay. It's all right. I forgive her, Jesus. It's all good. Number five, it helps you to live within your means. 
Okay? Number six, it helps you live without debt and the discouragement that comes with debt. Now, there's some good debt out there. I think, you know, those that are in the financial world, like Sean and others, would agree with me that, you know, having a house, that's a good debt. Potentially, at certain times in your life, having a car payment is an okay debt to have. But really, everything else is not good. It's not a good, happy debt. You don't want it. Seven, it builds character and discipline in your life. How many want discipline? How many want your spouse to have discipline financially? Don't put up your hand. Okay, hey, hey, that's, that's not good. Living with a budget is wise. Living within your means is even wiser. Okay, living with a budget is wise, but living within your means is wiser. So, here's what I want to suggest to you before you uh, throw things at me and are shocked by what I'm about to say. Are you ready for this? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that they're going to receive this and love me despite what I'm going to say because it's such a wise thing to say. And you've told us to use wisdom, Lord, so I'm just going to express the wisdom. We should live off of 70 to 75% of what you bring in. It's the best thing to do. That's living within your means. 70 to 75%. Why? First 10% is God's. Okay? Next 10% savings. Right? You can add in a little 5% there for giving if you want. Or retirement. Or other investments. And where do you end up? With about 70 to 75% to live off of in your life. The problem is, is we are right now living off of 120% rather than 75%. And it creates stress. Okay? We don't want stress. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, it says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from, wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Okay, learn to be content. I love the verse that it actually says here. It literally says that it's a trap. How many have ever watched Star Wars? It's a trap, Luke, it's a trap. That's literally what the Bible's saying. It's a trap, okay? So don't be trapped into thinking more money or better this or better that's actually going to solve your problems. It's not going to. Contentedness is what brings you peace and joy that you cannot put into words. I want to end with one last thought about Joseph. And I think this is the coolest thing. Genesis chapter 41, 49 to 57. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I know it's on screen, but I want to reference two things that happened Uh, In the middle of this whole mess, Joseph gets married and has two sons. The one son's name is Manasseh, and the second son's name is Ephraim. You're never going to remember that five minutes from now, so that's okay. I don't need you to know that. But literally, two sons were born in the midst of this chaos. The first one, Manasseh, which literally means to forget. The second one's name, Ephraim, literally means fruitfulness in the land of affliction. We have two choices when we're dealing with the issue of finances. We can remember all the stuff in the past. We can remember all the struggles. We can remember and we can literally remind ourselves every single day of where our finances are not, where they're supposed to be, and how it's not working out the way I'd hoped it to be, and I wish we were further ahead, and I wish we were further ahead. Or we can do two things. In the midst of the affliction, we can have two little babies. One's called forget the past, And the second one's called, we're going to be fruitful in the land of affliction. 
And so you have, I have news for you today. You have the opportunity to take both. What's interesting to me is Joseph had those two sons right in the midst of it. So he was reminded constantly, forget the past, forget the past, forget the past, forget the past. I'm going to be fruitful in the land of affliction. Okay? That's why Matthew 6 says it well. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. But seek first, seek first, first fruits, put God first. Give, save, live. Seek him first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Another version says, his way of living. Amplified Bible says, his way of living. And all these things will be given to you as well. Give, save, live. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 